welcome to the Hot Wash. This is your host, CJ, with my co-host, Alex Maltizo, and Hello. Jeff Falkel. Definitely uh, have a good episode. I always say it's a great episode, and you know what? We've got somebody coming on tonight. Uh, who, every week I say it's a great episode, but you know, it just keeps getting better. We keep getting uh, amazing guests booked for the Hot Wash. And uh, I want to throw out a disclaimer tonight, uh, a couple of I chose the song that we played uh, as an intro, and I apologize for it being so long. Uh, people who maybe have not tuned into the Hot Wash before, this is a live broadcast. Uh, it's called the Hot Wash. If you're interested in calling in tonight, you can reach us at 563. You can reach us at 563-999-3015. That's 563-999-3015. We have a great episode tonight, and the reason I chose the song The Rooster is we have a very distinguished um, veteran coming on the show tonight who is not only a veteran of the Korean War, uh, he's also a veteran of the Vietnam War, and he was a prisoner of war during the Korean War conflict. Uh, he was captured by the Chinese, conducted uh, a Chinese, excuse me, conducted a death march um, by his captors. And this is one individual who I can truly say is the epitome of what a patriot and American hero is. Um, so the reason I chose the rooster for our intro song tonight is that holds very near and dear to my heart. Uh, since the private, um, I've always really connected to that song, and I couldn't think of a more fitting intro song tonight for our guest than that song. Um, Jeff, I'll shut up, let you and Alex take the mic, and uh, do a little bit of uh, talking until we get uh, Command Sergeant Major on the line some issues with his phone, so definitely uh, give you guys the mic for a second so I can shut up. So this episode means a lot to me because uh, my mother, obviously, a South Korean from Jejudo, and I was born in Seoul uh, to a U.S. military soldier. Um, this means a lot to me because they always say it's the forgotten war, but for us in South Korea, it is the unforgettable war. I mean, we love it. You know, we cherish our heroes from the United States. Um, we would be speaking uh, Chinese and North Korean right about, or Korean right now. Um, but yeah, so this means a lot. And this is actually how I really yep. got involved with a lot of the veterans, you know, through through all of the, you know, being an expat and being in the U.S. Mili- you know, having parents in the military. Uh, I think we might have Sergeant Major back with us now. Sergeant Major, you're on the air. I'm back now. I'm back. All right. <laughs> you ready to go, I want to throw another disclaimer out there. Before we let uh, Sergeant Major, before we turn him loose, because I think Sergeant Majors are very uh, gifted and long-winded. So before I do that, you know, Command Sergeant Majors had a very distinguished career. Sergeant Major Anello is a distinguished career. Um, and he is retired, but I have nothing but the utmost respect for Command Sergeant Majors. Um, for any of those civilians out there listening or who aren't familiar with the military rank structure, um, a E-9 or a Command Sergeant Major is the highest enlisted rank uh, an individual can achieve. Um, and from there, they go to nominative positions where they, you know, the last position they work at 
with a full bird kernel um, is not necessarily, it is nominative, but it's not nominative. Uh, for them to move working for a general, they have to get nominated um, for that position, um, basically voted into that position. And they move up with responsibility, but there, there is no more promotion for them. Um, whereas generals make a brigadier general, major general, general, four-star general, and they get another promotion every time, another pay raise. Uh, command Sergeant Majors never get that. They just get more responsibility. And uh, uh, it, I don't mean this in any disrespectful way, but they get more heartache and more <laughs> burdens uh, with each level of leadership. And uh, have a lot of Sergeant Majors who are very near and dear to my heart, and I look up to uh, got several who were like father figures to me, and I refused to call them anything but major. So, uh, Commander Sarmanello, I just want to let you know, you could tell me to call you Joe until you're blue in the face, and that's not going to happen. Um, yeah, that, I'll be referring you know, you to you. Know that for me. Well, I thank you for that, and I appreciate that very much. And and just to throw out there one more thing for the public that you know, Command Sergeant Majors tell generals what to do; they just can't order them what to do. <laughs> we suggest. Yeah, there you go. Highly, <laughs> highly suggest. <laughs> but but this is also so a great guy. show for me because this is a uh, this is also go a ahead, very Jeff. special show for me as Alex as Alex said because uh, I, I've had the honor and privilege uh, of knowing Command Sergeant Major Anello for the past seven or eight years and he's truly uh, a gift in my life and and. Uh, after we got done talking last week with Michael Regan, um, we all unanimously said, hey, we need to get Sergeant Major on. So, Sergeant Major, welcome. Glad you're here with us, and uh, we're off to the races. Well, thank you very much, Jeff, and I want you to know I have the same high opinion of you, too. We might have to talk about your opinion, Sergeant Major, if you have such a high respect no. for uh, oh, Jeff Falcon. Okay. <laughs> 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 it's a sandal. It's never, a sandal. never, ever, ever, ever. Never, ever, ever, ever. <laughs> oh. nah, I love Jeff Falcon to death. Uh, he said it before. He He's definitely um, my adopted uh, Gold Star father, uh, so he'll forever mm-hmm. be uh, my Gold Star dad. And I, I thank the world of him as well. Um. So what, let's let's start out before I ask you who you are. Uh, I'm going to tell our listeners a little bit about you again real quick. Um, so once again, this is uh, the Hush. We are live on the air with Command Sergeant Major Retired Joe Anello. If you'd like to call into the show tonight, the number is 563-999-3015. And Command Sergeant Major Anello um, has served the United States military uh, and the United States people um, way outside of um, what a normal tour of duty is. Um, he's, as I mentioned before, a veteran of the Korean War, where he was a prisoner. He served in the Vietnam conflict, and he served from in every leadership position from a squad leader up to the division command sergeant major level. Uh, his last assignment, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, sergeant major, was uh, in Japan as the Command Sergeant Major there in uh, Okinawa, in Zama, Japan. In Japan. In Japan. So this is definitely uh, a man who, as I like to, to, to use the term, harder than woodpeckers. Um, he probably will – he's very uh, modest, and he'll disagree with that. But uh, this is a man who has lived uh, 
what it means to be a survivor and what it means to return with honor. And uh, we're honored to have Command Sergeant Major Anello as our guest tonight. So uh, with that, you know, Sergeant Major, uh, I'm going to start you off with the questions like we ask most of our guests. Who is Joe Anello? Uh, Joe Anello is a young guy uh, from uh, Boston, Massachusetts. I grew up in the shadow of the State House in Boston. Uh, the Boston Common was my uh, playground when I was a kid. Uh, I've always been military-minded. Uh, World War II veterans are my heroes. Uh, they are now, and they were then. I've always been military-minded, and I uh, wanted to join uh, the military through West Point. Uh, however, my father uh, didn't want me to. Uh, he, did, he didn't have a very high opinion of the military. What did he want you to be instead? Well, he wanted me to go to MIT. Uh, he wanted me to become the first member of the family to have a college education, and he wanted me to become a civil engineer. I, I accomplished that uh, after I got out of the service. Unfortunately, my, my dad wasn't alive at the time. I, I wish he was. Mm. He'd be proud of you. We all I think definitely, Sergeant Major, Major, you know. Sergeant Major, I think definitely you know that uh, he's looking down on you, uh, and he definitely uh, can see the distinguished career and all the um, outstanding things that you've done in your life. And uh, you know that uh, he's definitely proud of of everything you've done with your life. He wasn't maybe here physically, but he was definitely here spiritually. Well, I I like to hear things like that because I ran away from home when I was a youngster. Uh, my cousin signed my mother's name, forced her name, and myself and another fellow from Boston, a uh, uh, guy by the name of Bobby, uh, uh, I can't think of the last name right now, it just slipped my mind. But we, we went down to join the Navy, uh, and uh, unfortunately, he couldn't pass the physical, so we went downstairs on the second floor in the Boston Post Office and joined the Army. And uh, that's the last time I ever saw him. Uh, he went to Fort Leonard with Missouri, and I went to Fort Dix, New Jersey. Hmm. So, uh, Sergeant Major, what uh, when you joined the military, what were your thoughts? And, and I know you said you always wanted to be in the military, but uh, when you first joined the military, you know, what was your plan? Did you think that you were going to go in, maybe serve a couple of years and then get out? Or what was your your thoughts when you first came in the military? Actually, I was undecided at the time. Uh, you know, I grew up during the Second War, as I said before, and I always had a high opinion of the people in the military. And I just, I just felt it was my uh, my duty to join the service, and uh, it was just uh, something that was in the cards for me. Uh, I'm glad I did go in. I went in, uh, and uh, I should have mentioned before that I, I was in the National Guards when I was 14 years old. Uh, I was big for my age, and uh, uh, I spent about uh, eight months in the National Guards, and I was in a heavy weapons company in the Massachusetts National Guards. So I learned a lot about the heavy weapons, uh, machine guns, uh, mortars, uh, and, and that's how I ended up in a machine gun squad when I went into the service. I think that's awesome to hear that you were in the, the National Guard when you were 14 years old. You know, and that's we talk about, you know, we talk about uh, – our veterans 
that served in World War One, World War Two, um, the Korean War, and Vietnam. And we have Americans who were volunteering and who were lying about their age to support their country and fight for their freedom. And you know, yeah. I didn't know that fact until you just said that. And now I think you're even badass because you're in there at 14 years <laughs> old, who you know most 14 year olds can't even wipe their own butt and put their pants on and tie their shoes correctly. Um, especially in this day and age. Um, but, you know, it's a, it was a different time back then, but it, that just speaks even more of the volume uh, of a man that you are. Is you, At 14 years well, old, you I, were standing to the coat. I think it held, true, uh, it held true for everybody that uh, during the uh, 30s and 40s that when they were 12, 13, 14 years old, they more mature than the young folks are and now at 21 and 22 and I'm not taking away anything from these young folks now because they were brought up in a different world. Um, I'm just saying at the time that we grew up, we matured a heck of a lot sooner. And I think that, uh, you know, we definitely, there is no comparison, Sergeant Major, and I'll tell you, um, you know, I retired with 20 years, a little over 20 years in the Army, and you know, I joined the Army in 1995. A drastic change that I saw in the discipline, the good order and discipline of the United States military between 1995 when I joined and when I retired in 2016 is completely heartbreaking and it's sad. So I can't even imagine what one of the old timers, and I mean that with no disrespect, but an old school CEO like you has to say and, and think about um, the severe lack of standards and the way that individuals in this generation um, conduct their business and carry themselves. We have some great soldiers. We have some great American service members who are still fighting the fight and fighting for our freedom. But it's just disheartening the, um, the mentality of this generation, uh, as we call them, I guess, the millennials, um, who mm -hmm. think everybody deserves a participation trophy, everyone something for nothing and uh you know you can't scream at me you can't cuss at me uh if you yell at me i'm gonna tell on you and it's sad to see good nco good leaders uh whose careers are jeopardized by trying to maintain and hold the standards and to look at a man like you who at 14 years old was standing toe-to-toe -to -toe with grown men and had such a distinguished career that you did you know i'm an it's just an honor to even talk to you, um, have you on the air tonight because you're an old, old school NCO. And as a lot of people our age would say, old G, um, you're an old gangster, you know, you're, <laughs> you're <just> guys, <laughs> you're hard hit. So, uh, you and you've been from Boston. You probably do wear a pinky well, ring because you're from Boston's army. So, you know, <laughs> I'm, just, I'm from the I'm South. I probably do wear a pinky ring. <laughs> Well, you know, there's still a lot of good soldiers there coming out of the uh, out of the Afghan War and the, the Vietnam War. In fact, I'm, I'm reading uh, Sam Davis's book right now, the Medal of Honor recipient. Uh, yeah. And it, it, if uh, he's one of my heroes, and I'm older than him, but I'm not ashamed to say he's one of my heroes. So we, we have a what we makes have a him your hero? A bigger fun. What makes him your hero? I mean, coming from a hero to say that he's your hero. Well, it, you know, he had, a similar, he had a very similar life to what I had growing up. Uh, uh, he had a hard life. Uh, uh, he wasn't born during the so. Depression, yeah. but his, his family was poor. And they all had to work for a living and bring food to the table. 
and uh, he uh, he was moved around a lot as a youngster, and yet he came out and he became an outstanding individual, uh, uh, both as a, a man and a soldier. So um, as I say, he's uh, he's one of my heroes. And I think definitely, Sergeant Major, there's some, uh, you know, as I said before, I don't want anyone to misunderstand me because I'm I'm definitely not a millennial, um, but I'm, uh, you know, younger generation. Um, and I've seen the decline in, in standards, but we have some amazing oh, men and women um, who fight for our freedom daily. Um, so I definitely right. don't want to take anything away from the men and women who are fighting for our freedom today, um, just to, well, as an overall decline in the standards. From. I understand where you're coming from because uh, I have a lot of contact with the active duty military. And I, I see uh, some of the areas that you're speaking about, and it doesn't make me too proud, but uh, uh, this is what happens in the all volunteer Army. And they've lowered the standards somewhat in certain respects. But... Uh, I think on the whole, we have a pretty good uh, volunteer force. I would definitely have to agree with you, and uh, I, I definitely think that uh, I would love to go back in time, Sergeant Major, um, because I was raised, um, and I'll get us on back on, on path of hearing your story here in a minute, but I was raised by uh, a man that I have nothing in the military, I have nothing but the deepest respect for his name's Command Sergeant Major Gerard J. Counts or Jerry Counts. Um, he was the uh, his last duty position was he was the Command Sergeant Major, Division Command Sergeant Major for the 101st Airborne Division. Um, Sergeant Major Counts is one of my closest and dear friends, and uh, he by all means and all standards could have went as high as he wanted to. Um, he chose his um, appointment or uh, his uh, promotion to a three-star billet because his daughter was killed by a drunk driver in Clarksville, Tennessee, and she was buried in Clarksville, Tennessee. So uh, Elizabeth uh, was unfortunately struck and killed by a drunk driver, and she was buried in Clarksville. So Sergeant Major Count decided that he did not want to move up to the uh, 18th Airborne Corps and take that position in that three-star billet because uh, Elizabeth was buried there in in Clarksville. that man, I'll tell you what, I would follow him to the gates of hell and back. Uh, he's uh, mm-hmm. an outstanding man. To this day, you know, he tells everyone I'm his son, and I still you know, call him dad, but I still call him command major, uh, or I call him sergeant major. It irritates the ever-loving piss out of him, um, but that's the deep respect that I have for him. Right. I, I've run into I a see lot of him as, as like you. You know, you... I was you, uh, he, in, I was fortunate in that uh, I came into service at a time we had a lot of World War II veterans, and uh, these these uh, guys I looked up to, and they they taught me a lot, and they showed me the ropes, and that helped me uh, all the way through my career. And my friend Hershey Miyamura was one of them. Uh, when I first met him there, I was really in awe of him because he was a World War II veteran, and not only a World War II veteran, but he served with the famed 442 in Europe. So uh, this is how I started my relationship with Hershey. Well, Sergeant Major, I definitely uh, I want to hear all about that. Um, but I want to kind of go through the line. You told us who Joe Anello is, uh, where you came from, from Boston. So I kind of want to talk us through 
you know, uh, the first couple of years you had in service and, and how long you were in service before you saw conflict or you saw war in Korea and kind of take us there. Well, okay. Well, I wasn't in the service too long. Uh, I, was, I got out of basic training. I was down in Fort Devens, Massachusetts. And I was, as I said, I was assigned to a heavy weapons company uh, as a machine gunner in, in the heavy weapons platoon. And uh, I was there in Fort Devens, I guess, for about five, six months, and the Korean War broke out. Uh, I was a PFC at the time. And uh, we got orders to go to Japan for further shipment to Korea. And we loaded up all of our equipments and, uh, and uh, vehicles on, on, uh, on uh, low boys and uh, trains. And we went out to, uh, 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 to California. And we stayed there about three days and got on a ship, but one stacker uh, by the name of the Brewster, USS Brewster. And uh, that was my first time on a boat. And although I didn't get seasick, there, uh, uh, I did see a lot of guys get seasick there. And it, it almost put me over on the brink. But we uh, we went to Japan and uh, we were short-handed because we had sent some of our troops over to the First Cavalry and the Seventh Division uh, to fill up some vacancies that they had in in Korea. So we landed in Japan in Moji, Japan, uh, way under strength. In fact, I only had three men in our squad, uh, and we went up in the hills of Mount Jumanji, and they they sent a bunch of Korean civilians that they had rounded up on the streets of Pusan over to Japan uh, with the ultimate goal of uh, us turning them into soldiers. So this was uh, a lot harder than it sounded. Because one, they couldn't speak English. We couldn't speak Korean. Uh, they didn't like our food. They got uh, very sick eating our, our diet. And when they finally realized what was going on, uh, they had got brought interpreters in to kind of iron out the wrinkles in the situation. But we eventually got them not well trained. We got them trained enough so where they could fire a weapon and they knew what to do with a crew served uh, a gun. Uh, we had only had only four GIs in my squad, and the other eight, seven uh, were Koreans. So we uh, we landed in Wonsan, Korea, uh, in October of 1950 with this situation. It was kind of rough. Uh, we lost quite a few of the troops in our first combat uh, heading up to the reservoir to help the Marines out. Uh, when we got up to the reservoir, we were still a little bit shorthanded. Uh, a lot of Koreans got killed. Uh, some of them just disappeared in the hills, and we never saw them again. But we were, we were able to help the Marines out. When they got trapped up in the reservoir, they pulled out. And we were the rear guard uh, action for the Marines. Uh, heading on back down to Ham Hung and Ham Nung. Uh, the Marines got on uh, ships on the 12th of December, 1950. Uh, Hershey and I, uh, along with a, a fortified platoon, uh, left uh, Ham Nung on Christmas Eve, 1950. In fact, the LCUs and the Ducks wouldn't come in to pick us up. They were afraid they were going to get stuck. So we had to wade out into the Japanese Sea and get on and we were picked up by a tin can, a destroyer, and taken on down to Pusan. And from there we went to Taegu, uh, where we were re-outfitted, and uh, we got some replacements, uh, some badly needed replacements at that time. What was going through your mind, uh, Sergeant Major? Uh, how old, well, let me back that up. How old were you uh, when, when you first went to Korea? 
How old was I? I was 17. <clears throat> yeah, I know. Uh, in fact, uh, on my uh, uh, on in April of uh, 51, uh, I'm jumping a little ahead of the gun there. I got called into the commanding officer's uh, tent. Uh, we were just uh, a little bit south of Seoul. And he said, I was a sergeant at that time. I got promoted on the 15th of December, 1950, while we were evacuating from uh, North Korea. And he said, uh, Sergeant Nuttle, he says, uh, I've got a report here, and I, I don't believe it, but I want to ask you. He said, are you 17 years old? And I said, yes, sir, I am. So he said, my God, he said, I'm going to have to send you back to the States. And, I, you know, being the young patriotic guy that I was, I begged him not to do it. I, I thought it was a shameful thing for me to leave combat and leave my friends behind. And I told him that it was only a week until my 18th birthday, which would have made it legal for me to be there. So he and the first sergeant said, well, uh, well, we'll shuffle the papers for a week and then we'll take care of it. So that's how I ended up staying in Korea. <clears throat> that's awesome. So what was going through your mind, Sergeant Major, as a, as a 17-year-old uh, man, um, when you're in this heated conflict in the Korean War? Um, I know what goes through most men's minds, as I've been there before, but what was going through your mind um, when you well, were doing this? I'll be honest with you. I'll be honest with you. The first firefight we went into, uh, uh, it, it wasn't bad, uh, you know, because we were hitting the North Koreans, and they were on the run at the time. So I, I didn't really feel like I was in combat. However, when I got up to the, regis, uh, the reservoir, the chosen reservoir, uh, then we start seeing uh, hordes of Chinese uh, charging our positions. And I, I saw people getting killed, uh, uh, arms and limbs uh, and guts uh, being pulled out of their uh, system. And uh, mm-hmm. I finally realized that I was in a war. And I felt the truth that kind of scared me a little. Uh, but I just, you know, pulled myself together. I knew I had a squad that I had to take care of my men, and I tried to do the best I could. And we we did a heck of a job up in North Korea, I thought, not to ring my own bell, but I think we did a damn good job. Myself and Hershey's squad also. Well, I don't think uh, there's a doubt in anyone's mind. Uh, I'm sorry. No, no, I was going to say, we're not, the South Koreans are not communists, so you guys won. Thank you so much. Well, thank you. I appreciate your comments on that. Yeah, it's personal. It means a lot to me. Like I said, from South Korea and, you know, um, having a father who was a U.S. soldier, you know. Right. Mm-hmm. It hits home. Mm-hmm. This is why I do all the things I do for veterans. It's, it's the Korean uh, soldier, you know, the Korean war veteran. Right. Well, you know, I felt sorry for those Korean soldiers that they sent over to us. Uh, they were just young yeah. kids like I was. And, uh, you know, they, they, they had left and they didn't even notify their families that they were being taken off the streets or anything of that nature. But uh, the, the ones that we went through all the way up to uh, the, the uh, time we went back up to the DMZ, uh, they became fine soldiers, really good soldiers. Uh, in, in fact, one of them I came, became very, very friendly with. And, but he he was killed on the 24th of April, 1951. What happened to him? And I think. I said, uh, what I'm sorry to interrupt you there, Alex. What, yeah, no, 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 not at, at all. Not at all. 
Oh, I think he might have been dropped. Joe, you there? No, I'm still here. I'm just waiting for a question. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. The delay, I think, is this, there might be a little delay in the, in the communication uh, no tonight. Okay. Can I can I relate uh, my uh, how I met Hershey the first time? Absolutely. Please. Okay. Your BFF. Uh, right. Uh, Hershey uh, uh, got out uh, of the war uh, after the end of World War II, and uh, he's working for a living, and he had a wife and a couple of kids. And uh, he, he needed some more money, so he joined the enlisted reserve. Well, un- unfortunately for him, <laughs> they called him up during the Korean War. Uh, I was sitting up in a, in a tent up in Mount Jumanji in uh, Moji, Japan, and uh, I was sitting there studying a, 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 a field manual because I had to give a class to a couple of mortarmen the next day. And, uh, and then walked this, uh, this Japanese-American guy, and uh, we hit it off. I don't know what it was. It was just a, a, a magic between us. We shook hands, and I can almost feel the vibration from his hands to mine. And I said, uh, you know, this, this guy and I are going to be good friends, especially after I found out that he was uh, in World War II. He was seven years older than I was. He was an old man in the company. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> him and I got to be very, very good age. friends. Yeah, no, he doesn't. In fact, I tell you, it's because he drives so joke. fast. He just drives backwards. I, 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 yeah, uh, he had nothing yeah, less than Asian mom. street cred. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, when I when I talk to uh, a group of people, particularly Japanese American people, I always tell them about the story that when Hershey walked into the tent and I said, "Well, I'm going to have trouble with this guy. I know I'm going to have trouble." And of course, the Japanese American people, you know, looked at me and said, "Say, what's going on here?" And I told him, "You know, mm-hmm. until Hershey came." In the company, I was the best-looking guy. So, oh! But, uh, oh. <laughs> but uh, no, Give Hershey me that and I. Uh, ground. <laughs> uh, from that from that moment on, uh, we we were friends, and we still are friends after sixty-seven years. He does have perfect hair. Have you noticed that? Even when he's going hundred miles per hour in the car, his yeah, hair just well, stays in place. Yeah, it does, <laughs> and I'm jealous because he's got hair. <laughs> oh. Yeah. No, he 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 aged he aged very well for for a young fellow that's going to be 92 on October 6th. He looks very well. Yes. Mm-hmm. Us Asians, we age well. Things. We're like 100 years old, like turtles. Yeah. Well, as Jeff knows, uh, we just celebrated a, a birthday of a friend of mine who's in the third division unit. It was 102 years old. Mm-hmm. So, uh, oh, wow. Maybe we got a chance. Maybe we got a chance, Jeff. Who knows? Absolutely. I'm catching up to you quick, though, Sergeant Major. I'm catching up to you quick. I'm going to cry over, I'm going to cry over you both. <laughs> kimchi bunch. <laughs> oh, I'm going to put you in kimchi jars and bury oh, you. Oh, jeez. That's all we need. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, uh, to continue my story, uh, when we were uh, just when we left Tegu, we went up to uh, uh, Seoul, uh, fighting to regain Seoul at the time, and uh, we were, had a big battle in an area called Wall City. Uh, and once we won that battle, we went up a little further north to a a line that's uh, a, a line that was just uh, drawn an imaginary line across uh, South Korea, which was now the uh, close to the 38th parallel. And they call it the Injim Line, I-M-J-I-M, which was named after mm-hmm. the uh, 
or actually a Kansas line, which was on the Indian River. And uh, Hershey and I, we, we dug our squads in uh, uh, in a company, uh, F Company, I believe, at the time. And he placed his guns on one end of F Company. I played my, my two guns on in another area in F Company. And we set up in a defensive position before we jumped off into the offense. Well, this was on the 24th of, 23rd of April, 1951. And uh, a battalion intelligence officer came down and informed the uh, company commander that we were attached to F Company that the uh, British Marines uh, were taking an awful beating and they needed help. And they were just about three miles to the west of us on the other side of the Indian River. So they said they were going to pull out all the riflemen from F Company and send them over to help the Marines. Well, that, <laughs> that left Hershey's squad and my squad, uh, 22 men, uh, uh, covering an area of uh, four to 500 yards uh, without any connection to any of the other units on either our right flank or our left flank. And the, uh, the battalion uh, intelligence officer told us, well, it's not a problem. You know, he says, uh, uh, our, our intelligence tells us there is no enemy to our immediate front. So no, mm -hmm. nothing to worry about. And the only problem was that uh, they didn't inform the Chinese. Uh, because on the 24th of April that evening, uh, all across the uh, Kansas line, uh, we got hit by about eight Chinese divisions that were just just waiting for the moment. And uh, Hershey's squad and my squad, uh, uh, we we held them off for quite a while, uh, but it, it was obvious that we couldn't get out of there. It was it was hard. Uh, we had a lot of hand-to-hand -hand combat. Um, we called in for uh, artillery, couldn't get any artillery. We called in for mortars, we got mortars. And I went back to call in for some flares. And about that time, I got shot across my legs. And as I was falling down, I got hit by a hand grenade in my back. So that was kind of the end of the war for me. I, uh, I didn't wake up until the next morning at the party of a uh, Chinese soldier's bayonet. I don't know how Hershey's squad made out that night, but I found out later, but I didn't know that night. Uh, the next morning, the Chinese uh, motioned for me to get up. I couldn't. Uh, two of them took me by the hand and dragged me off this mountain uh, down to a, an area that looked like a schoolyard. And there I met Hershey, and thank God for that. Uh, Hershey tended to my wounds as best he could. Uh, we didn't have any morphine or anything, but... Uh, we had the uh, the uh, bandage, bandages that we carried around, and he tried to stop the bleeding as much as he could. Uh, we stood there overnight, and uh, we had some uh, some Chinese officer with an English accent, a terrific Oxford, Oxford accent, that said, uh, uh, we won't uh, steal any of your possessions. We will treat you kindly. We'll feed you, and, uh, you know, we're going to take good care of you. Well, five seconds after he left, they stole my watch, my ring, and he even took my boots. So, uh, anyway, uh, I was still, yeah. Anyway, that that, uh, that next morning, uh, they told us we were going to have to march out, and I looked at Hershey, and he looked at me, and he said, don't worry, Joe, I'll take care of you. So, uh, he, Hershey practically carried me for about 10 miles. Now, we disagree on the distance, but we'll see a deep It was a long, long And I've heard way. that disagree. Yeah. 
But anyway, anyway, uh, after about 10 miles, we were slowing up the column, and the Chinese insisted that uh, Hershey lay me down at the side of the road. And uh, we, we both knew what that meant. And uh, Hershey said, no, I'm not going to put him down. And they, they, they drew on him, and uh, they were going to shoot him. And I told him, Hershey, look, I said, it's, it's fine, you know, just, just lay me down, everything be fine. And uh, I appreciate everything you've done for me, and I, and I hope everything turns out well for you. So anyway, they laid me down at the side, and Hershey laid me down at the side of the road, and they left three guards behind. Uh, the three Chinese guards was standing there smoking, and they waited until the column got out of sight. And I figured, well, you know, this is it, and uh, made peace with my maker, and I was, you know, I was, I was happy with the way things were going. And the next thing I knew, you know, they they picked up their rifles and they walked off and they left me there. And I I was, I was really shocked. <clears throat> I told Hershey at the end of the war when I met him that the Chinese were always short of ammunition. They said, well, why waste a bullet on this guy? He's going to die anyway. So, but I fooled him. Anyway, uh, two days later, a Chinese unit that was retreating uh, from the 8th Army that was pushing them back came across me, and once again with the prodding of the bayonets to, and, you know, to see if I was alive, uh, they picked me up and they put me on a, uh, a kind of a push cart with bicycle wheels on it, and they took me up about 50 clicks north, and uh, they, uh, well, on the way up there, by the way, we got strafed by Marine uh, uh, Hellcat, uh, the, uh, the Grumman's, and uh, they left me on the cart, and of course, they all scattered around. And uh, the, the second time in my life, I was grateful for it, and I, I, I wasn't killed. But uh, the day later, they, they dropped me off at a, a Chinese rear echelon medical unit, uh, and I met up with five other people, uh, four were Americans, one was a Turk soldier, and uh, we were, they put us into the kitchen pot of a Korean house. Uh, in the house, they had mules and horses. And uh, that's so our aircraft wouldn't see them there. Uh, but the mules and the horses were kicking down the walls and they were defecating all over us. And of course, they, they brought the flies in, the flies brought the maggots in. And that, that kind of, that kind of uh, you know, made us a little nervous because uh, seeing a little guy chewing up on you there. But we found out later that's probably what saved most of our lives. They ate away all of the, the, the dead flesh. But uh, the Chinese would neither feed us or take care of our wounds. They were just warehousing us until we died. Fortunately for us, they shot down a, a pilot. He was with the Mosquito Squadron in Korea. He was an observation pilot. And uh, he had his right hand all burned off all the way to the bone. He tried to level his plane. He got shot in the belly tank, and it just flamed him out. But anyway, he was the only one that could walk of the five people who were there. And uh, the Chinese allowed him to freely walk around the area. And uh, he bartered uh, with the locals there for uh, rule. Uh, it's kind of like a, a sand that you can put in your mouth and drink water and it bloats your belly, no nutritional value, but it makes you feel like you had a seven-course meal. Uh, one, of, one of the fellows died, and uh, after about three weeks after we were there, and we pleaded with the Chinese, you know, before he died to give us a knife or something or 
uh, subsequently we're going to amputate his leg because it was really uh, bad with gangrene. But they refused us, and he died about three days later. Uh, the, the pilot and I uh, crawled, I crawled out with the pilot, and we buried him in a kimchi hole that was about five feet from the, uh, from the uh, kitchen that we were in. And the pilot and I talked while we were outside and said, you know, we're going to have to do something. We got a, a couple of guys in there. probably got maybe two or three more weeks before they go too. And uh, so we decided that we were going to escape. And uh, we crawled up the hill at night. And we built a big POW sign at a rice, rice grass. And uh, we came back and we talked to the guys in the hut because uh, we didn't want to do it without their consent because we didn't know what repercussions the Chinese would take after they found one of us or both of us gone. So, but they all you know, immediately agreed to it because they knew what we were faced against. And uh, the pilot told me that uh, he was stronger than I, that he was going to go. I told him I was born and raised in Boston. I could swim like a fish. If he could get me on down to the river, I could make it. But he decided no, that he was going to go. But that if he wasn't back with help within three days, four days, that I would try to, to make it out too. So anyway, he left. Uh, the next morning, the Chinese came looking for him, and we told them, well, you know, he, they took him up north, uh, I guess, to make a radio broadcast because they had talked to him before about, you know, doing that. So they kind of just shook their heads, you know, and they said, well, okay. And they, three days later, uh, as the sun was coming up, we had the Marine uh, pilots once again on their, in their Grumman Hellcats, uh, came over, the Corsairs, I should say, uh, came over and strafed the hills all around this place we were being held prisoner at. And uh, they kind of cleared the hills out and kept the Chinese quiet. And about a half hour later, he came five tanks from the 7th Cavalry Regiment of the 1st Cavalry Division. They came up, they surrounded our hut, and they were blasting away at the hills also. And they loaded us on the leeward side of the tank, and then they backed off about three or four hundred yards and we were home free. Uh, we went uh, uh, we went back down to the uh, 8th Army lines and uh, the next morning there we were evacuated uh, to uh, Japan. I was evacuated to Japan. The pilot was evacuated to Japan. Uh, the two other fellows that uh, were with us were evacuated to the States so they were really in bad shape. And the Turk was uh, evacuated back to Turkey. I spent about three months in Japan going to a couple of hospitals and a, a couple of operations. And then I was uh, debriefed by the uh, intelligence people in Tokyo. And then I went home. And I going about my normal uh, duties in the military. And, and I was checking the intelligence briefings for uh, any word of, uh, of Hershey, and I didn't see any. And then they finally signed the armistice. And they, they, they sent out, they started sending out the releases of the, the POWs who were coming home. And Hershey's name still wasn't on it. And I thought, oh, uh, Hershey was slightly wounded himself. And I think, well, you know, maybe Hershey bought the farm. And I really, really felt bad about that. But about two months later, uh, I picked up a Newsweek magazine. And there's an article, this skinny-looking guy, frail, uh, in a hostile pajamas. Uh, being told this, uh, by the commander of the 3rd Infantry Division that he had been awarded the uh, Medal of Honor and they had kept it a secret for almost three years 
because they didn't want the Chinese to know that they might have, you know, uh, taken some reciprocal action against them there. But anyway, I, I, I jumped in my car. I had assignment to go to the language school in California, and I jumped in my car the next week, and I headed on down to New Mexico, and uh, I found out where Hershey was working, and I walked in there, and Hershey looked at me, and I looked at him, and he said, my God, you're dead. I said, no, I assured Hershey I wasn't dead. I was alive. <laughs> but Hershey, had, Hershey had convinced himself and, and told all of our friends that we knew that uh, I had, that the Chinese had shot me. And the reason he did that mm-hmm. because I was the only guy that ever dropped out that they didn't shoot. All the guys that dropped out after that, they shot. So the man upstairs was looking out for me. So I, I was really thankful for that. But uh, since that time, uh, Rich and I have been traveling around together, doing a lot of things together. Uh, him and his wonderful wife, uh, who passed away two years ago, was a wonderful woman. And we had some great mm-hmm. times. My wife, Joan, Hershey, and his wife, Terry. So, uh, yeah. uh, yep. That's that, that my story. Yeah. Sorry, Major, I, I wanted to uh, kind of uh, not necessarily hit the rewind button, but I want to touch on a couple of things that are very important. Right. Um, when you were when you were captured by the Chinese, what year was that? That was the uh, 24th of April, 1951. So the 24th of April, 1951. Um, right. And you talked about something that you and uh, the pilot did. Um, is you crawled out to, to bury your comrade um, right. and your brother in arms. You talked about you guys made a POW symbol um, for your, your fellow Americans to see from overhead. Um, right. Uh, we, was that L something that you guys were? Was that something you were briefed on, or was that something that you guys kind of, you know, had hot no, came up with? No, this, this is just something we came up with. In fact, uh, when uh, when this pilot went back uh, to the states, uh, he was assigned to an Air Force base in in, uh, in Texas, and uh, they gave him the project. Of, uh, of uh, setting up an escape and evasion course uh, for a pilot shot down. And in fact, on the cover of the escape and evasion uh, manual, there's a, uh, a picture of myself, uh, the pilot, and the other three, four people that were being held POW. Wow. And that's definitely it's something I wanted wall. to touch on, Sir Major. That's I'm definitely sorry, something I wanted to touch on. Right. Jeff, go ahead, sir. Uh, I'm sorry. No, no, no. I, I, Alex and I have been very fortunate to uh, to get to Joe at Joan's home in uh, in Colorado, and uh, and I've I've seen I've seen that manual. I, one of these days, sort of major, I want to read it. I, you're supposed to get it for me. I remember. I remind you. I'm, I'm sorry, Jeff. I didn't hear you. We'll, we'll, yeah, we'll, we'll, I, I remember you, you, you showing that when Alex and I were there uh, not too long ago, showing us that. So it was, that's pretty special. Sorry, Major, definitely one of the things that I... Okay. Sorry, yeah, Major, he was talking about... Story, uh, Do I have time? Yeah, to, absolutely, uh, but I want another... You got plenty of time, Sorry, Major. Um, okay. we, we've got another uh, hour and five minutes... And I, I definitely oh. don't want to stop this amazing uh, momentum that we have going here, but uh, okay. 
I want to touch on because you've got a lot of a lot of people that listen to the show, the Hot Wash, um, mm-hmm. come from uh, you know all forces, um, civilians. Um, but there's a lot of my my fellow brothers and sisters uh, from my community and in the special operations community that that listen to this show, um, and, and a lot of graduates uh, of the United States Army Seer School um, who listen to this show. And that's kind of the reason I asked those questions or I with that question is some of the things that you've been through uh, are were instrumental in providing um, you talked about your um, some of those things that and the information you provided of your treatment and uh, how you were uh, maintained yourself and the way that you carried yourself captivity mm-hmm. uh, those are part of the manual. Um, on being a soldier or mm-hmm. airman mean, um, who returns with honor. The things that you guys did, and that's one of the things I wanted to ask is, hey, did somebody brief you that? And you said, no, that's, that's what we came up with on our own. Those actions that you guys did on your own are part of the field manuals and the regulations of uh, survival of you know evasion resistance and escape that's something you guys came up with you know, shooting from the hip and now those are the skills that that we future generations have been taught um, as survival skills and ways to evade resist and escape and and to return with honor um, and I think that you know just listening to you tell your story is such an honor to know that a man like you and Hershey survived the things you did. And because of, of, of two great outstanding Americans like you guys, your after action reviews, your action comments and debriefs is what saved numerous American lives since then. Um, and for people who don't know what the hot wash is, wash is a nickname for an after action review. Uh, the hot wash is an immediate debrief uh, an after-action discussion for things that you did good, things you did wrong, things that you can improve on, things you could could sustain. That's what the hot wash stands for. And, and you know, Command Sergeant Major Anello's actions after being held uh, as a prisoner of war by the Chinese, who were some of the most inhumane, horrible people in in the world um, and the way they treated Americans um, along with the Chinese, Koreans, and the Vietnamese, and not that I am biased or disrespectful or racist or prejudiced. It's a known fact. The way that they treated Americans mm-hmm. that were prisoners of war was absolutely ridiculous. Um, and mm-hmm. we're talking with a man who's part of our history part of the American history, a man who fought for our freedom, fought for the South Koreans' freedom, fought for the world's freedom. Him and Hershey are men who are true heroes. And Command Sergeant Major Anello, I, I know you're a modest individual. You, sir, are what me and every other soldier in the last 50 years – looks up to and wants to be like that hard pipe hitting 
Kim Effort, and I'm trying to learn to be a little more politically correct, even though the hot wash is unadulterated. But, you know, you're a hard pipe-hitting individual, harder than woodpecker rips, and you're the guy that we look up to and want to be like. And you you talk about how Hershey carried you. Um, it's not a very big man. You know, he he's mm-hmm. small in stature. He's great, huge in stature as far as his character, but as far as physical stature, he's a small person. And he carried you for in excess of 10 miles. And I, uh, you're not I always like necessarily a small individual either. Well, uh, I'm going to get to that. I like to joke with uh, Hershey, uh, particularly when I'm giving a talk about our experiences. Uh, I, I said not to, not to uh, play down Hershey's role in helping me, but I only weighed 137 pounds then. So, <laughs> but, <laughs> but no, uh, it, it, that was 137 pounds of dead weight. And Hershey probably weighed 100 pounds soaking wet at that point, right? Uh, well, uh, well, when he came back, he weighed about uh, 89 pounds. But I think uh, he and oh, I wow. weighed about the same. He weighed, we weighed about 137, 140, somewhere in there. Well, we, you know, we're so I in pretty ask, good shape. Go ahead, Sergeant Major. I'm just going to say we were in pretty good shape at the time. Uh, a lot, no, no fat, all, all muscle type. Sorry, Major, uh, so looking back at history and kind of the things I talked about right then, you know, uh, being a school graduate and, and being having those lessons that you talked about um, ingrained very toughly into my head, uh, knowing, you know, and having to memorize the Code of Conduct. The Code of Conduct is something that uh, was written uh, in 1955. Uh, right. He uh, signed by President Dwight Eisenhower on 17 August of 1955. So that was four years after your capture. Um, right. The, and, only, the only thing we had going was the uh, we divulged the name, rank, and serial numbers, and that was it. And we lived by that code. So I wanted to ask you, did you – were you able to have any part in uh, the future doctrine um, of of SEER school and SEER training? And you talked about uh, that in Texas. Um, have you been a guest speaker at any of the SEER school uh, classes or graduations, or uh, have you been active in any of the SEER school training um, that's gone on since the Korean War? Well, while I was in the service, I did, yes, on many occasions. I talked about our experiences and and uh, how we uh, <clears throat> how we were able to uh, maintain uh, our dignity as best as we could and uh, and try to uh, see our way through what was going on. Uh, I think Hershey will tell you if you talk to him. There were there were several several young folks uh, that uh, just gave up. Uh, they they wouldn't eat and uh, they just uh, kind of laid there and wasted away. But uh, I was determined and uh, not to die in that hellhole. And this is the code that I was living by. Uh, you know, I said I didn't join the service to come all the way over here, 8,000 miles away, to die in this hellhole. No way in the world I was going to get out of there one way or the other. Mm-hmm. And I think that, uh, you know, Sergeant Major, that's definitely 
I'm refreshing uh, my memory and, and just sitting here going through the conduct. Uh, and, you know, I, I talked about it. it was signed by uh, Dwight D. Eisenhower in uh, 17 August mm-hmm. 1955. And then, uh, you know, the, the contract for the United States Armed Forces uh, was signed by an executive order uh, on November 3rd, 1977 by President Carter. Uh, and it was amended uh, on the um, – but, you know, just – for those who don't know, um, Google the code of conduct. Um, and, and obviously we have a little time, but, uh, I'm, I'm just going to go ahead and read over the articles of the code of conduct. And I want you to think back, uh, not you, Sergeant major, but our listeners, uh, who listen to this, maybe broadcast live, or, uh, listen to it as it's archived on iTunes. But, you know, article one is I'm an American fighting man. I serve the forces which guard my country and our way of life. I'm prepared to give my life. In Article two is I will never surrender of my own free will. If in command, I will never surrender my men while they still have the means to resist. Article three, if I'm captured, I will continue to resist by all means available. I will make every effort to escape. I will accept neither parole nor special favors from the enemy. Article four, if I become a prisoner of war, I will keep faith with all my fellow prisoners. I will give no information or take part in any actions which might be harmful to comrades. If I am senior, I will take command. If not, I will obey the lawful orders of those appointed over me and will back them in every way. Article 5. When questions, should I have a prisoner of war, I am required to give my name, rank, service number, and date of birth. I will evade answering further questions to the ability. I will make no oral or written statements disloyal to my country or its allies or harmful to their cause. Article 6, I will never forget that I am an American fighting man responsible for my actions and dedicated to the principles which made my country free. I trust in my God and in the United States of America. So those are powerful words. And one of the things that, that I want to point out, Sergeant Major, is – that's not something you were doing. That's the way you were raised. And that's what mm-hmm. your generation as an American believed in. And one of the things that, you know, I, I say it all the time, it's the hot wash is unadulterated, it's uncensored. And, you know, if I offend anyone who's listening tonight, um, you've been warned before. It's not politically correct, but our generation in this day and age could take a huge lesson from individuals like Command Sergeant Major Anello and Hershey because they lived by that code of conduct before it was even written. They lived with honoring our country, our forefathers, the men and women who died for our freedom generations before and they would rather die than disrespect our country way of life and our our colors so sergeant major i get pretty freaking fired up about this and listening to a man of your stature and of your historical significance and listening to your story and it makes me so mad I could chew up nail to think about the way individuals today have no clue of 
being an American and what being free is all about. And one of the things that I want to point out, I don't typically get very um, political, but by God, I want to say something. Um, You know, tonight you talked about you and Hershey. When you first met um, Hershey walked in the tent and you thought, well, we're going to have a problem because he's better looking than me. And that's funny. That's funny as hell. And but you know what? In age, if if we took that back and transplanted that to today's, or let's just think about the issues of back then. The Japanese were hated by Americans. America put Japanese Americans and any one of ethnic uh, of the Japanese ethnicity in camps in America because. That's right. Of what Japan did mm-hmm. at Pearl Harbor. So mm-hmm. our country was so freaking prejudiced and so freaking caught up on race, ethnicity, and creed, color, religion that we took every single Japanese American, Japan, you know, person of Japanese descent, and put them in a camp and segregated them because we were so fearful of what the Japanese had done to the United States of America at Pearl Harbor. And Joe Anello, this and, and no disrespect, Sergeant Major whatsoever, but you know this young fifteen-year-old punk from Boston looks at this Japanese American and says, "You know what? He's going to be my buddy. Me and this guy are going to get along." And you guys became the best of friends. And are inseparable. Absolutely. I, I've never met you individual, you know, two of you in person, but I've heard the stories uh, and I have the deepest respect for you guys. But that was in a time when America hated Japan. Americans hated Japanese people. And a guy yeah. from Boston, Massachusetts met a Japanese American and says, Hey, we're gonna be best buddies and we're gonna we're gonna chum along and, and do everything together. And that he was is a, he was the what first Japanese being, American I ever met. And that's even that's even more awesome because you didn't buy into the persona or the predisposed mentality of all Japan you know all Japanese people are evil. Um, in this day and age, I've seen it come full circle. And mm-hmm. not to distract from your story, but it's something we need to get back to in America. Is and I've said it. I've got. I've I've fought in Iraq and Afghanistan, and and I've been a few other places. But it doesn't matter where you came from. I don't give a damn what color you are. I don't care what your religion is. I don't care who you pray to. I don't care if you believe in God or don't believe in God. All I care about is the common core value of living in peace and harmony and respecting your man to your Right. I've fought alongside Muslims. I've fought alongside atheists. I've fought alongside Pentecostals, Baptists, Catholics. It doesn't matter. I don't care. That's not important to me. What I care about is your values, and that's what makes America so great is belief in freedom and us being a big melting pot of coming from every ethnic background, every religious background. That's where we're falling on the way in this day and age, 
is everybody's too concerned about what your religion is, what color you are, what you believe in. Hey, you know what? When it's all said and done, you got to answer for that and meet your maker. Whether you believe in God or you don't believe in God, I personally do believe in God because I can tell you without a doubt, there's no way that I would be having this conversation with Command Sergeant Major Anello tonight if it weren't for God because I know where I've been, I know what I've been through, and there's no way that I would have ever lived through those situations without God. But people that don't believe that, that's fine. That's that's between you and the man upstairs when you sign off and one day when you answer to him. Mm-hmm. But I love your story of you and Hershey because it speaks volumes of one of the most ethnically and racially charged times in our history. It's you, still kind of going on today. Mm-hmm. It is. But you know what? Well, yeah, I mean, there's this rumor that I'm just foreign intelligence. Yeah, just because I'm Asian and I work on base and I work as a consultant for weapons, everybody thinks I'm a foreign intelligence agent. They don't know the difference between a Chinese, a South Korean, or anything. So all of a sudden, I'm a foreign agent. (laughs) So it's still going on today because of the conflict. But I think Jeff is spreading that rumor. (laughs) <laughs> no, I think it's really bad guy. He knows that I like to help veterans, and yeah, it's just just a really bad guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, 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 I definitely I just want to <clears throat> go ahead, Jeff. Okay. I just, well, before we get off that topic, I just want to care, share with the listeners uh, uh, one of my favorite stories, um, and one of the one of the. the Joe and I were down at the Center for American Values in Pueblo, Colorado, where they have uh, um, basically a living monument to the Medal of Honor recipients um, from from Korea on forward. And, uh, and what happens is once a month they do a presentation. I'm actually going to be there on uh, Tuesday with uh, uh, Captain Kelly and uh, uh, Sergeant Major Patterson, two Medal of Honor recipients from Vietnam. But Hershey, when Hershey's portrait was revealed, and it was actually it was a beautiful picture of him holding a portrait that his beautiful wife had painted of him, and mm-hmm. then to the side is, is her uh, profile. But Hershey's talk is, I'm not a Japanese-American. I'm an American-American, mm-hmm. and that's what we need to focus on. And, and you know, I've, I've, I've heard people imply that over the years but but to hear coming from Hershey and knowing him as well as I do and knowing Joe as well as I do and being part of the stories and and hearing the and seeing the two of them together is just it does my heart good but but you know for for this man to have have lived the life he's lived and his family to have have been you know put in the situation that they were put in and and that's his message today you know I'm I'm an American American you know, and that's the way we need to do it, and uh, that just goes goes along with what you were saying, CJ. I just didn't want to get too far from that. He's a topic. proud American too. Yeah, he is. He is. And I absolutely agree right. with that, a hundred percent. You know, it, it, I hate the race subject. I really do, um, because I don't see color. I, I see everyone. Um, you know, I've joked on a hot wash before. I was raised by a bunch of old school NCOs who believed in treating everyone like shit 
until they deserve the right to be treated <laughs> differently. Um, so, uh, you know, you had to earn your right to be treated anybody or to be treated like somebody. Uh, and the mentality was you treat a buddy like shit until they've earned the right to be treated differently. Um, but, you know, that's very much the way I look at life. Um, is I'm suspect of individuals until uh, they prove to me that uh, they're worthy. Um, I don't treat people like shit because um, I've learned from that, and I've learned that uh, that's not how you do things, but I'm suspect. That's a good way to put it is uh, I look at individuals, and I'm suspect of them until I know their true um, meaning or their you true – You want them to earn your respect. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Thank you, Alex. That's that's very much how I feel. You got it. Um, one of the things that I, I want to hit on, sir, mate, is, uh, yeah. our day and age, you know, a lot of people, you ask, and it's sad, you know, you ask people about history, and they know about history. Um, they don't know about World War One. They don't know about World War Two. They don't know about Korea. Uh, or Vietnam, and and definitely we're getting because I'm showing you know I've been in the military or out of the military. I started in '95 and I'm retired now, but you know I'm starting to be one of those old guys that I used to uh, make fun of when I was a private, and I can remember looking at my NCOs and being you know they'd be telling a war story or telling a story about where they were doing this or they were doing that, and they'd be what I'd be like, hey, what year was that? And they'd be like, oh, that was you know. 1987. Oh, I was 10 years old then, Sergeant. And I'd be like, yeah, go fuck yourself. Um, now that's happening to me. Um, in this day and age, guys are like, you know, I'm saying something. They're like, hey, you know, I was like eight years old then, CJ. And I'm like, shut up. Get out of my face. Um, but this so society why? now, the only thing. <laughs> you know, a lot of people in this day and age, the only thing they know about the Korean War, sir is match and I bring that up because that's really the one thing that stands out in our society uh, that hit on the Korean War was was MASH and it it talked about and I think it did a pretty decent representation knowing what about history of the casualties and the cost of American lives and yeah it made um, comedy and it jokes and it made you know in some points it made light of it, but it still drove home the fact that Americans were being injured and were dying every day fighting in the Korean War. Um, but that's really the only history that a lot of Americans know about Korea or about the Korean War is Mash. And even in this day and age, you know, even now yeah, because Mash is not so popular, that that's people now don't even watch Mash. So I think it's so important to, and our major, I've said it, I know I don't have to say it because you know how I feel, but you're not an old guy, but it is so important for us to record history and to take and document the stories that people like you and Hershey have. Because if we don't document it, our future generations it's lost. So I, I want to say you for coming on the hot wash tonight because I'm some, you know, wet behind the ears, young punk. 
that's doing a freaking live radio broadcast and you time out of your schedule to come on and tell us your story and educate us about the Korean War and about the Vietnam War. And that's important to me, Sergeant Major. Well, it's important to me also. I I never turned down an opportunity to speak to uh, the young kids in school, uh, middle school and and high school. And and I found out that these uh, these young folks are really eager to find out what happened during the Korean War uh, because they had grandparents or great uncles that were in the war. They never said anything to them about it. And their school books probably carry about one paragraph of the Korean War in total. Maybe. So, I, I, like I say, I, I never pass up an opportunity uh, to talk to these young folks because they seem very appreciative of what we, we tell them. And the, the questions and answers that we get uh, after we speak to them are on a very intelligent basis there. So, I'm, like I say, I, I'm really happy about that. One place I am really sad about is our own government. Uh, I've been to uh, many uh, military functions and also to government functions, particularly uh, Hershey and I went to, uh, we were invited to Washington, D.C. to speak about our experiences in the Korean War. And uh, we got there, and uh, Hershey and I up on the stage, there's about five, 600 people in the audience, and I poked Hershey in the ribs, and I told him, look above us. And he looked up above us, and there was a big, poster, a sign said, welcome World War II and Vietnam veterans. And we get that all the time. Uh, we're a forgotten war, forgotten troops. I was in Hawaii uh, with Hershey about five years ago, and the, uh, the uh, sink pack uh, in Hawaii, I forget what his name, my dad, Mel, is out there, and he was talking about the World War One, World War Two, and he mentioned, of course, uh, uh, Vietnam and Afghanistan. And, uh, and Iraq, and I didn't say anything. Hershey and I looked at each other, and after the, he gave his little spiel, I walked up to him and I saluted him. I introduced myself. I said, no, Admiral, uh, you're getting uh, into the same sphere that our government is in, and you're forgetting about the Korean War veterans. You know, and we, we feel mm-hmm. kind of bad about that. And he was really apologetic about it, and he promised me that he would you know, incorporate the Korean War veterans in his next talk. But we get that all the time there, uh, CJ. And I think, Sergeant Major, uh, that's something that that you hit on briefly, and, and I want to say the Korean veterans, um, you know, it's, we've talked about it, uh, or it's been said, is the Forgotten War. Um you served in the Korean War. You were a prisoner of war during the Korean War, and then you served in Vietnam. Yes, and I did. when our American came back from or from Vietnam, they were treated like shit. They were treated with absolute disrespect. And and I'll say this: I don't know if it hurts anyone's feelings or not. Um, the tree hugging hippies who cared nothing more yeah. about eating granola and smoking mm-hmm. fucking marijuana, right. uh, wanted to disrespect the men who were sent by our government to perform a duty. They were ordered by the president of the United States to fight a war. Um, it wasn't their race. It was their orders. It was their duty. It was their responsibility. Um, mm-hmm. and, and these individuals who care nothing more than it was an 
groups to protest the Vietnam War, to get high, to get fucked up, to get freaking go to concerts and fucking have free love and sex and all that other shit. Mm-hmm. Um, hey, look, I'm all about having a good time. Um, but you know what? Not at the cost of our American fighting men and women. And Absolutely. people who protested these men and women who were fighting under the orders of our president, under the orders of our country, they weren't there to defy or defile uh, a country or a way of life. They were there to provide relief from oppressive mm-hmm. communist government who was absolutely destroying and emancipating emancipating or excuse me that's not right, just fucking destroying and there goes the f-bomb i'm sorry um that's all right um it's the same thing mm-hmm. well you know something but, uh, and I, I blame our government a lot in that respect too uh there were certain areas in in the united states uh i'll give you one for instance sixth army uh, put out a, uh, a memorandum to all the troops stationed in that area not to wear their uniforms downtown if they were in the area of San Francisco. You know, instead of backing up the troops and saying, yeah, wear your uniforms, be proud of who you are, be proud of what you've done, they're making them ashamed of themselves. They don't want them to wear their uniforms downtown. So once again, I blame mm. our government in that respect. Yeah, yeah they're ashamed yeah. of you know, being American, mate. ashamed of being strong, Absolutely. You know, they want to appear weak, so we uh, just seem like we could get along with everyone. But, I mean, weakness only invites aggression. Mm-hmm. And Well, I think I absolutely have to agree with that. You're only as strong as your fucking weakest link. You know what? It mm-hmm. doesn't matter if you can have 100 individuals standing in a formation or standing in a group, and the hardest pipe-hitting motherfucker standing out there can be as the meanest, baddest, you know, dude standing there. But a group of individuals is only as strong as their weakest link. And we, as a society, and we of a country, as a country, have become too politically correct and too worried about what everyone else thinks to protect our borders. And I'm not going to get on a freaking Donald Trump tirade or Hillary Clinton tirade. I'm going to go back to and revert to what I personally think, and, and anyone else can disagree with that. That's fine. Um, I go back to what I remember. My youngest memory um, of the president of the United States was Ronald Reagan. Um, I'm 39. I'll be 40 in August. Um, so, yeah, I'm starting to get old by some people's standards. Um, I think Why? Alex is like 21. Why? Alex is 21 <laughs> and Jeff is like 31. And, and I think Sergeant well, Major is probably like no, that's 41. That's my IQ. That's my IQ. But Sergeant Major is turning 21. You know what? My earliest memory, <laughs> earliest memory is, is President Ronald Reagan. That's the first president I have in memory. And I can remember um, when Omar Gaddafi was fucking with the United States of America. And I can remember President Reagan sending a very loud and clear message that if you fuck with us, we're going to fucking destroy you. I don't care what you think. We're going to do it. And correct me if I'm wrong. Maybe I'm having a freaking 
screwed up moment in my memory, but I remember President Reagan sending or President Reagan sending bombers and bombing Omar Gaddafi, and Gaddafi's daughter died in that bombing raid. Mm-hmm. Yep, because Gaddafi fucked with the United States of America, and he was warned. He was told, "If you screw with this, we're gonna screw. You know, we're gonna we're gonna bend you over the fence post." Um, and that's what happened. And that's where we as a country have gotten too soft and too politically correct. And, you know, like I said, the hot wash is the hot wash. We speak our mind. Yeah. Um, we say what the truth is or what we believe to be the truth. Um, I'm all about debating it with you if you have a different um, thought process or mentality. But we need to get back to if you fuck with us. We're going to fucking destroy you. I don't care who you are. Um, and that's what made America what it is. You know, we've you got know, to get back major, to the mentality of if we're going to send troops to war, let's send them in there with the thought in the back of their minds that we're going in here to win. We're not going in there for political, uh, 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 shall we say, a political uh, uh, agreement on what to do after we've lost a lot of lives. Let's get back to the principle mm-hmm. of we're going to send troops in to die. Let's send troops in to die to fight for war that we want to win. None of this mm-hmm. baloney of armistice and, and drawing a peace line and all that other crap. Mm-hmm. I, I agree with you 100%, Sergeant Major. I, I have, and, and I've said it before, I have nothing but the greatest respect for uh, President George Bush, GW. Um, and, and he's mm-hmm. on my list of people that, you know what, if I somebody I'll be on I'm gonna have I'm gonna give you a moment and tell you when I was a kid and all through grade school and middle school this maybe this will date me even more um I grew up watching MASH and Gomer Pyle and Andy Griffith and those TV shows um but growing up um if you ask me all the way through middle school probably up until freshman year of high school um, if you, if I could go back in time and meet one individual, who would it be? And my answer was Roy Rogers, because I thought Roy Rogers was like the cat's ass. You know, I thought Roy Rogers yeah. was awesome. Um, but to this now in my adult life, if I could meet one individual, it would be George W. Bush. And I have mm-hmm. a lot of respect for George W. Bush because he shares the same mentality and a lot of the same ethos and uh, thought processes as President Reagan. Um, mm-hmm. One of the things that I think failed, and I think we as a country um, failed our commander-in-chief by pressuring our president um, too much was being politically correct, and we took our American warfighters and one day we were in war, and we were fighting and killing people. And at the drop of a hat, the flip of a switch, we said, you know what? Uh, no longer in a war. Now we're in a peacekeeping operation. And you can't take people who are shooting people in the face, people in the throat, and taking people's lives today. And then next morning they wake up and say, you know what? You can't do that anymore. You can't shoot people. You can't punch them in the throat. You can't take their life. 
now you got to sing, you know, you got to hold hands and sing Kumbaya. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. You can't, you can't do that to American fighting soldier. You can't do that to the American service members. And mm-hmm. it, you have to totally have a exchange of forces. You can't take the men who were killing people yesterday and then today expect them to, you know, hold hands and say kumbaya. And, and you said, if we're going to go in and we're going to start something, we need to finish it. Because that's one of the greatest Absolutely. downfalls of our society and of America today is just like, you know, you're talking about it from an old soldier's standpoint. And I mad respect, Sergeant Major, when I say that, an old soldier's standpoint, a man who has been there, done that t-shirt three or four times over and a young punk like me who's talking about it from my standpoint and in my experience of you've got to finish what you start um and i don't really give a damn about political affiliations i don't care about republican i don't care about democrats i don't care about whatever your political affiliation is all i care about is the fucking united states of america all I care about mm-hmm. is my freedom, your freedom, of life. And if you don't stand for America and our freedom and our way of life, I have no use for you. And I just assume punch you in the throat, punch your throat, or kick you in the fucking curb. I don't care. That's what I care about. Um, and I think hearing it from a man from your generation, Sergeant Major. And our generation, that's what we need to do is push out these tree-hugging, eating hippie son-of-a-bitches who think that we should all hold hands and sing Kumbaya. You know what? We can hold hands and sing Kumbaya after the war's over. Um, but after that, let's keep killing people that are trying to destroy our freedom. Jeff, Alex, please take the mic because I'm getting out of bounds. <laughs> Well, no, you're not. No, you're not at all. It, and and I and I think uh, I think you know we've we've talked about this, and this is and it needs to be talked about. Um, but but just to kind of uh, follow up on some things, uh, today is actually National Vietnam Veteran Day, and so uh, yes. let me be the first to welcome you home, uh, Sergeant Major, and uh, and thank you for everything you did. Um, and and as CJ said earlier, uh, thank you. Your your. Your expertise, because of 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 trying to, what you needed to do to survive, you know, has has put into doctrine for more people than you can ever know, um, a, a way a way to to escape, a way to get back to back to their loved ones, a way to get back to their families, mm-hmm. and uh, and for that, you know, so many people owe you such a debt of gratitude, and you know, it's always, it's always been just one of the one of the many reasons how much. Uh, that I care so much about you and, and, um, you know, how you truly bless my life. Um, with being You're part embarrassing of me, Jeff. Good. Somebody's got to. Aww. You've done you know so much. Star Major Jeff just said something, uh, that, that rings true. And I've said it to many, uh, of the leaders that I've had. Um, and I, I just met up with Alex and Jeff again, uh, in, in Fort Bragg, North Carolina. Um, we had a little uh, reunion together, got to hang out and spend some time together. But I, the, one of the reasons I went to Fort Bragg, is, uh, I went up there for a retirement ceremony for one of my uh, former commanding officers. 
And uh, there's, I've had a lot of good leaders in my military career, and I've had a lot of bad leaders. And one of the things that I, I because of the great raising that I've had from from uh, old school NCOs like yourself, is I learned very uh, early on that um, you take the things that your leaders or your NCOs did were good, you put those in your freaking toolkit. You, th- you take the things that your leaders or your NCOs did that maybe you didn't agree with or that were maybe bad or bad leadership qualities they might have had, and you say, this is not how I want to be as a leader. And you take the good, the bad, and that's what forges you to the leader that you become and how you um, lead your troops. And uh, I went up to Fort Bragg for for a retirement ceremony for a uh, colonel that I'd known since he'd been a captain. And uh, absolutely uh, one of the strongest bonds that I've had with a commander ever um, with this individual. And I'll say his name. I don't say I'm not ashamed and I definitely know he doesn't mind. Heath Nimi. Colonel Heath Nimi. Um, because of Heath Nimi's leadership and a another uh, outstanding officer who's now a uh, Major General, Major General Clay Hutmacher, um Beyond a shadow of a doubt, without Heath Nimi's leadership and without Clay Hutmacher's leadership, that I probably wouldn't be here today because of the things I had going on in my life um, and my personal life outside of the military um, and things that had happened to me. Um, I probably never would have made it with two individuals. And when I found out Heath was retiring, I didn't give a damn where I was supposed to be. Um, I was going to be there to his retirement. And he's a fellow night stalker. We served in the 160th together. And that bond meant more to me than anything. Um, being there to honor his service and his career. And you as a command sergeant may probably appreciate this. Um, we went to his retirement ceremony. A lot of people there. But to his retirement party, the after you know the the, the cer- you know not ceremony the party afterwards, there was two enlisted people that showed up. That was me and a command sergeant. The rest of them were all O sixes and uh, general officers. And uh, I had a lot of words for him as an Um that leadership and that bond that he created as a young punk captain and he carried on through uh, his time as a, as a full bird colonel and the way that he led his men saved people's lives. And that is the leadership that you and Hershey and our previous generation, Sergeant Major, have set the bar and set it high with. And I, I, I definitely want to say, you know what? Um, you wrote history. And I, I definitely want to say thank you. Thank you for everything that you did as a veteran and 
to echo what Jeff said, as a Vietnam veteran, Sergeant Major, welcome home. And I've got a little bit of bourbon here in my glass. And uh, <laughs> Jeff and Jeff and Alex are like, oh God, CJ's got bourbon. Um, <laughs> What's wrong with bourbon? I want to say box wine. It's okay. Yeah, I don't drink box wine. I'm I'm kind of a bourbon snob, Sarmate. Learn that when you meet me in person. Um, but uh, I want to say right now that uh, as Jeff touched on, and, I, and Jeff, thank you for bringing that up tonight is today's Vietnam Veterans Day. And yes, it is. I want to say, Sergeant Major, that thank you for being a Vietnam veteran. And I'm going to apologize for the atrocities that our fellow veterans committed against you and our fellow brothers in arms. But I'm going to say thank you for what you did and what many of our brothers did and for the sacrifices that you and your fellow brothers in arms made for our freedom. And the last stanza of the Night Stalker Creek, for those who aren't familiar with it, and I've said it a couple of times on the hot wash, is I serve with the memory and pride of those who are before me, for they love to fight fought to win and would rather die than quit. Night stalkers don't quit. So that Sergeant Major Never ever. A, Never ever. A nice aged bourbon in memory brothers and sisters who gave their life in support of freedom in our nation in the Vietnam War. Thank mm-hmm. you and thank them for their service, Sergeant Major. Well I thank you for your service too. Uh, do I have a do I have about two minutes that I'd like to follow up on that story and career? Absolutely. Absolutely, Sergeant yeah. Major. Well, you know, Sorry, I'm about I I 19 minutes. Go ahead. Okay. Well, I'll only take up about two or three minutes. I got a call from Washington and asked me if I would consider go back to career with the JPAC team uh, from Hawaii to see if they could recover the body of that uh, individual that we buried. And I told him, well, certainly I would. Uh, so we went on back, and uh, it was in, uh, I think, May of uh, 67, 66. And uh, we plotted out an area that uh, that we thought was it, because everything had been changed. You know, they had foliage there now, and it's something we didn't have when we were over there. Everything was bombed out, burned out, and, and no trees or anything, no vegetation. But uh, anyway, we were there for about three weeks, and we couldn't find anything. So we're ready to head up home there. And this Korean fellow came up and asked the guy that owned the land, who happened to be his cousin, what was going on here. And they said, well, they were looking for the body of a POW that was buried there. And they said, well, they're looking in the wrong place. And, of course, everybody looked at him. He said it's only about uh, maybe uh, 75, 100 yards away from here. So we asked him how he knew. And the story was that when the pilot escaped, he traded his flight jacket to a farmer that was living in a bombed-out house and with his wife and kid. And uh, he, he got a sack of gruel for us that would last about three days uh, while he was making his escape attempt. Anyway, it turned out that this fellow was the young fellow 
who was living <clears throat> under that house, bombed out house, with his dad and mom. And he was about 12, 13 years old at the time. He said, the day after we escaped, the Chinese found the flight jacket, and they killed his mother and father. And the only reason he escaped is because he was hiding and they didn't see him. Uh, so this this young kid that was living underneath a uh, a, uh, a house, bombed out house, uh, was now the mayor of this particular town. He also owned a bank and about two restaurants. And he really, really made a life for himself when he started out with nothing. But anyway, the following year, we went back to the area they showed us, and we skimmed off the area that they do there with the uh, forensic archaeologists. And they got down in the hole that we found, uh, and everything was there when the same things when we buried them, but he wasn't there. So the forensic archaeologist called Hawaii and asked them if they had found any bodies in the site. And the, the story that we got back was that they, they, was, they put the Chinese put the body at the side of the road, and the farmer that owned the rice paddy there picked up the body and buried it on his land because he was a, a pro-American guy. But fortunately, he told uh, one of his neighboring farmers what he had done. And the reason I say fortunately, because he died about a year later. Well, in about 1959, the Korean government was asking the farmers if they knew of any troops that were buried by the Korean or American. And they, they pointed out the fact that, uh, yeah, here's one here. So they dug him out, and the uh, forensics proved that he was an American. And the guy was, the body was flown to Hawaii. And it's in Punchbowl, and they were waiting. Uh, they were waiting uh, uh, authorization to uh, to uh, dig the body up there and uh, and uh, and identify it. Like that, that that was a story that you couldn't write in Hollywood. There, and uh, I was extremely grateful to find out that the fact that at least the body's in Hawaii. But I just thought I'd have to pass that one on. Yeah. Yeah. And that means that means the world is family as well. Definitely, Jeff. And you know what? That's that's one of the things. Um, I get emotional, get all fired up, Sergeant Major, uh, when we're on the air. Alex and Jeff can tell you I get a little fired up and probably uh, full of piss and vinegar sometimes. Um, but that's one of the things that I wanted to touch on. And one of the pictures that I posted on the hot wash – um, was of you during the recovery operation um, when you were out looking for the remains of your fellow American. And, right. you know, mm-hmm. one of the things that uh, that we're taught, uh, especially in the special operations community and uh, any individual who's been to SEER school, um, it kind of means American soldiers and American military fighting men and women um, – they're very much of the belief and the mentality of um, bringing our brothers and sisters home. But that, mm-hmm. that really means it goes a step above and beyond in special opportunity um, because, you know, in the Rangers and the 160th or the Night Stalkers and in the, uh, the Joint Special Operations community, we – don't believe in leaving a fallen comrade to fall into the hands of the enemy. And we'll absolutely pour every resource we have into preventing that from happening. Um, Just to protect the remains 
of a fellow American who was fighting for our freedom. And the resolve and the dedication that you showed to bringing home one of your fellow Americans who gave their life in support of our freedom and returning back to Korea and finding those remains of that American fighting who gave their life in support of our freedom and our way of life, that that means a lot. And to say that you brought back and returned him with honor is one of the most admirable and respectable things that you can ever say to someone who's worn the uniform and who has fought for our freedom. Because there's a lot of people who wore the uniform who haven't actually fought for our freedom. And I don't mean that to discount for anybody's service to our, our country or our nation. But if you've actually fought for our freedom, there's a big difference. Um, and there's a saying that's uh, it's kind of synonymous with uh, started out in the Vietnam War and it was left at the the Vietnam Memorial Wall. And it means so much to me that I've got it tattooed on my left forearm that says, uh, you've never lived until you've almost died. Freedom has a flavor those protected will never know. And I absolutely live by that, Sergeant Major, and I believe that. Yes. And those are strong words. Those who haven't fought for our freedom and who've only grown up being an American or were born into the ability to be free, to speak their mind, to have freedom of speech, freedom of religion. They don't know what means. People who have actually fought for that right and who have poured out their heart, mind, body, soul, their blood, their sweat, their tears in support of that right to be free, that's a flavor you don't know, never know. And I don't mean that in any way, shape, or form to be disrespectful to those who haven't served in combat or to our Americans. But you know what? If you haven't been there, if you haven't fought for our freedom, and you haven't earned that right, then you should probably sit down and shut the fuck up and and listen to those individuals who have. Um, That means so much to me. For an individual like Command Sergeant Major Joe Anello, who returned, how many years was that, Sergeant Major, that you went back and brought back that brother in arms? Well, it was in 1967, there, so it was, what, uh, uh, 50, 60 years. So 56 years later, mm-hmm. Command Sergeant Major Joe Anello went back to a piece of ground and that was in the Vietnam or Korea. That was Korea. Um, Korea, yeah, right. Korea. Mm-hmm. Went back to a piece of fucking ground that 56 years before he buried a man who gave his life in support of our freedom and gave up his last breath being an, an American fighting man. 
Sergeant Major I, Anello uh, put that man to rest, and he brought him home. That means more to me than anything in the fucking world. And I don't give a damn if you've got a million dollars, if you got a billion dollars, that a man who's got dedication like Sergeant Major Anello did, he's more important, deserves more respect than any other son of a bitch anywhere in the United States of America because he brought home his fallen comrade and didn't forget his brother, and he brought him home with dignity. That's yeah. what that means it's to special. me, Sergeant Major. It's well, and I, I, I thank uh, you for allowing me to say this on the, on the uh, program, and I thank you for having this program. Uh, it brings some information to your listening audiences that they've probably never heard of or even thought of hearing about. And uh, I appreciate that very much. Thank you very much, CJ. Well, I and, and I agree with both of what you said, but it was interesting that we kind of talked to this now because I, I actually read something this morning, and, and it says something to the effect of 10 things that, that civilians don't understand about the military. And and one of the ones that rang the most true to me, and and you know it's something that I try to to model myself after, um, because of you, Sergeant Major, is is one of the points was that that only someone who served in the military would basically go halfway around the country, or as in your situation, halfway around the world, to help a fallen or to help a fellow service member, and and the civilian population just can't really truly understand that. And, but it's a bond that, that, that we have with each other, with our brothers and sisters that serve by our sides, that, that is unbreakable. And, and yep. you, you I, I are no the, the living documentation of that. However, no there was one point mind, that Jeff. I told Say again? I say I have no doubt in my mind, Jeff, that you would do the same thing I would without hesitation. Yeah. And I, and I, and I, haven't, I haven't had that opportunity, but I, I have – I've traveled a lot to be with with people that need to be that need help, and 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 I will continue to do that for the rest of my life because because you you are one of my heroes. Um, but but I I do disagree with one of the points in this article. Uh, they said that soldiers never wear flip flops. That's got to be wrong. What's the motto for combat flip flops? Uh, <laughs> bad bad for running, worse for fighting. Yeah. If you notice, uh, Jeff, uh, I wasn't wearing flip-flops. All I had was a towel. Yep. I didn't say you, that. I, I didn't say nothing about gotta that. You've got to wear the white socks to go with your flip-flops so you can be like full no, South Korean, not, like yeah, full-blown. Yeah, you'll, 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 you'll see me in, uh, in Crocs before you see me with socks. <laughs> no, white socks, white socks, white socks. Oh, shit. Never, ever, hey, never, so, ever, gonna, never, ever, 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 ever. We got we got like six minutes, Sergeant Major, and I'm gonna I'm gonna tell a little dirty, a uh, little trash. We got five minutes and seventeen seconds. Okay. So I used to wear Crocs all the time. Um, I love Crocs. Absolutely, freaking think they're most the they're the most comfortable freaking footwear you will ever find. And Alex mm-hmm. Maltizo used to flip me so much shit about wearing Crocs that. <laughs> They reminded me of the Dutch shoes when I grew up in Germany. You know, like, you know, they'd have like the wooden shoes. You just need the hat and some tulips 
to complete your Night Stalker look. But you know what? Crocs are comfortable, Sergeant Major. I and love you, Alex guilted me into stop wearing them. So I haven't worn Crocs for probably almost a year and a half, almost two years. Because of Alex Maltizo. Because she's hey, like, Jeff wants I got to wear Crocs. Wear nose. They look ridiculous. Yeah, not. So last weekend, <laughs> we were in Fort Bragg, North Carolina. We were in Fayetteville, in Vietnam. Uh huh. We were hanging out at a. At a What's it called? Uh, Max Will Max Beach Shop or something. So good. I love their yeah, barbecue. Max Beach mm-hmm. It was a great place. So we're hanging out there. We're taking and you there, Sergeant Major. We got to take you there. Mm-hmm. We will. Mm-hmm. Well, Definitely. I'll Sergeant Major will like that place. I want the audience to know there that, that yeah. Jeff, you're, you're, you're fulfilling one of my lifetime dreams. And that's I'm going to yep. be able to jump out of an aircraft at Fort Bragg. On the twentieth of June. It's perfectly and good airplane. Like, I don't love know how much it. I appreciate that. Well, anything for you, sir. So I, we're gonna, you know, I think Jeff, you're gonna make that happen, right? Oh, we is. It's it's already. It's, we're I already made it happen. Yep. So so yeah. here we go. I'm gonna tell you. I'm gonna finish that story about the the shoes real quick, and then we'll talk about that. So oh no. Max will don't speak rip your dance on my feelings. Jeff shows up in your crop. Jeff shows up wearing a pair of uh, Jerusalem jumpers or Jesus sandals, and I think they might—I don't know what, what name brand they were. Yeah, but they got a bottle opener on the bottom, CJ. You can't go wrong with a bottle opener, just in case you need it for your bourbon. So because of Alex, I haven't stop, worn Crocs. Stop, stop. I haven't worn Crocs in like two years because of, of Alex. But Alex allows Jeff to show up in a pair of like Jesus sandals. You are my best Jesus friend. Thank you for not making me suffer. And uh, so we're hanging out, and I'm like, wow, that's that's pretty amazing. Jeff can wear freaking, you know, Jerusalem sandals. <laughs> Jerusalem sandals, but I can't wear Crocs. Okay. No, I've gotten so, Solomon. He never wears them. Uh, whatever. Yeah. But, well, hey, yeah. Sergeant Major, when you, could we work, got, when you, could, we when you were slippers Solomon. in the snow – when you wear slippers in the snow, people stop looking funny at you. <laughs> I will say this. And, and, yeah. and Major, Sergeant Major has seen me wear slippers in the snow. <laughs> we got about oh, two minutes boy. left, Sergeant Major, uh, on the show, uh, live on the air. The, the show records after the live segment is over. But, you know, um, so let's talk about this real quick. 20 June 2017, Command Sergeant Major retired Joe Anello uh, is going to jump out of a perfectly good airplane. <laughs> and, and that's something that I've enjoyed. That's something I've enjoyed for many years. And you know what, Sergeant Major, I've got a guest uh, who's listening in there tonight. I'm, I'm going to put him hot right now. Um, we got about a minute and a half left. Bob is live on the air, and Bob has something he'd like to say to you, Sergeant Major. Bob, you're live on the air okay. on the hot wash with uh, Command Sergeant Major. Shoes. Go ahead, Bob. How you doing, partner? <laughs> okay, so listen, I want to wish you an early happy birthday because I know on the 5th, and this whole thing about you jumping and, and doing and so forth becomes more uh, incredible because you're going to be 84 years old this year, right? 84, yeah. <gasps> 21. 84. Well, hey, Alex, the youngster, Hershey's jumping. He's going to be 92. Well, yeah, there you go. <laughs> Let him go first. 32. 
Well, you know, like I told you before, Bob, that uh, I, I wanted to join the 12th Ranger Company, the last Ranger Company they were forming in, in Camp Atterbury, Indiana, and they, they turned me down because of, the, you know, the wounds I had gotten. And uh, yeah. I've been sorry about that ever since. And this gives me a, a, a lifetime opportunity to do something I've always wanted to do. That's great. That's great. Just when you land, feet and knees together and don't look down, okay? Right. And don't forget there, Saturday. Saturday, Saturday. With the, uh, Ranger breakfast. About, uh, Ranger breakfast with about 30 of your best best Ranger buddies. My turn to buy. Right. Now, I'll, I'll tell you, you what. Let us, you let us buy you breakfast this time, Joe. It's starting to seem like the only time we invite you is April when it's your birthday and you're buying, and that's, you know, that's not cool. That, that, so that's I would the like ritual to that I have. You can, you like can buy me one. breakfast any other time. Okay. All right. We'll, we'll talk about that on Saturday. But Okay. Uh, good deal, Bob. Wait a second. TJ indicated that he had some bourbon in, in his coffee cup. So I just poured a glass, and I'm planning on hoisting him to, uh, I believe, Bob Thomas is the fellow you've been talking about that you uh, recovered. Yeah. Joe? You know, is yeah, that who you're talking Bob about? Thomas. Yeah, that's the guy hey, you're in your book. Right. Yeah, that's okay, the guy. Bob, uh, Bob please don't okay, do that. Uh, wait, wait just a second. Let, let me pour my glass because I absolutely wanted to do uh, that toast with you, Bob. We're all, we're all uh, going to do Butch Vander and, uh, and 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 Chris. Absolutely. Sure, sure. So, uh, Command Sergeant Major uh, Anello. Um, I don't know if you have any bourbon handy. Um, uh, no, I got Crown Royal. He's got to have a Crown Royal. He's like him and Hershey are big time. Gangster. I used to drink, oh my I used to drink wild turkey. That I don't know if you guys velvet. ever heard of uh, ever heard of old old Oberholt. That was a bourbon uh, <laughs> that we drank back there in the early fifties, and boy, that was some tough stuff. You know what? I'm I'm gonna forget what you said. Crown Royal, sorry, Major, because that's Canadian whiskey. But you know what? Um, I'm Bob. Uh, I'm gonna please, and I, I respectfully def, default to you. If you could please lead us in a toast um, to those individuals. Um, we're still we're not live, but we're recorded, so this will be uh, archived uh, on the hot wash. So. Um, any individuals who tune in afterwards will definitely hear this. Um, so I'm going to okay. call to you if you please lead us in a toast to our fallen comrades, brother. Go ahead and please go ahead. Got something, and I I know that you know the uh, Joe, you with us? Yeah. Okay, so we're gonna we're gonna raise our glass uh, to those who uh, paid the ultimate sacrifice: Bob Thomas, uh, uh, Butch Vanderhoff, uh, Chris Falco. Uh, here, here. Here. And Bob's actually part of our kimchi bunch. Mm-hmm. Say again? Yeah. I said Bob is actually part Bob. of our kimchi bunch. So uh, yeah. Joanne, Joe's wife, uh, named our group, and so she calls us the kimchi bunch. Oh my God, I love her. <laughs> yep. You know what? Kimchi I'm. Uh, Bob, I'm going to call you out, brother. I've never met you, but uh, you mentioned bourbon, 
So you you've got to be a pretty decent man if you like bourbon. Because <laughs> well, I'm kind of a bourbon. He's, 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 he's going to be a future guest, CJ. Don't so don't spoil it now. Um, Did you hear me? Yes, sir. Fake bird of Alabama. What it is, right? Alabama. Bird of Alabama. I've never heard of Alabama. Okay, it's a wild. I'm a, I'm, a, I'm from Tennessee. But you know what, Tennessee's, you know, I'm so Alabama. I can't even acknowledge the state of Alabama, Bob. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, well, I'm drinking Kentucky bourbon anyway, so you know it doesn't make any difference. I'm in Denver. Okay. I'm a big Kentucky guy, so I you know. I would be remiss if I didn't flip you a little bit of shit because you said Alabama. Um, there you go. Well, but, no, I'm just saying, I'm just using joke. But let me ask you something. Uh, John Campbell, were you, uh, were you with the 100 when he was uh, six? Bobby, you're talking to me. You're breaking up. No, no. I'm yeah, Bobby, to... you broke up just a little bit. Oh, okay. All right. What was I, that, brother? Yeah. I was just asking if, if uh, when you were with the 101st, if John Cam- John Campbell was Eagle Six. Yeah, I know who John Campbell is. He was after my time, but I absolutely know who he is. Um, I was uh, part of the 101st when uh, Kernan was the commanding general. Um, and then uh, after Buck Kernan, it was uh, General Clark. And so then, we, uh, we have at least one person in this. Uh, Buck Kernan is the president of the Granger Hall of Fame board, uh, which I had the opportunity to sit on. Uh, probably one of the finest uh, general officers that the Army's ever produced. Hey, Buck Kernan is one of the absolute baddest Muldoons in the world. I love Buck Kernan. Um, Buck Kernan definitely knows who I am. Um, I'll tell you a funny story about him real quick. Uh, you know, I, when I went to work on the general staff, um, Buck Kernan, for those of you who don't know who Buck Kernan is, uh, he's a former uh, commander of the 75th Ranger Regiment. Um, right. He's probably one of the hardest pipe-hitting – he's harder than woodpecker lips. I love Buck Kernan. He's um, Buck Kernan was the CG for the 101st, and uh, I worked on his staff as uh, the division narrator of the Eagle. Um, so I was the master of ceremonies for every event that the commanding general attended. So every battalion level change of commander hire, uh, and any time the CG showed up, I was the master of ceremonies. And uh, Right. I could tell by your I'll voice work. you did it in a big job. Well, I, 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 so I was the staff junkie. Um, who showed up and basically was the the guy behind the microphone. He was the guy on the loudspeakers and the guy that everybody hated when we did a division pass and review or a division change of command or any division-level ceremony because there was poor, all these poor bastards standing on the parade field who were like, Jesus, shut up. We're, you know, we're dying hot, and I'm the guy that was talking on the microphone. But uh, They're thinking, don't lock your knees and you're running your mouth, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, but Kernan, you know, I I'm a good old Tennessee boy. I'm a country boy from East Tennessee. And, uh, you know, I'd be lying if I didn't tell you that I've been using Copenhagen since I was – Copenhagen snuff since I was probably 
exactly years old. So I've been dipping Copenhagen Frost snuff since I was 10. Well, that's, on the, that's on that list of what uh, Jeff was talking about. The, the Copenhagen, what else is on there? Camels, the, the three C's. Yeah, 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 yeah. What yeah, yeah there's a lot of those things on there. Coffee, coffee, so, coffee. Oh, yeah, we no, had, uh, I'm going to call out this general that we had, which was uh, Brigadier General D's. Um, um, general D's used to call me out all the time. Um, he was a, a huge, and I love General D's, so I don't mean any disrespect when I say this, but General D's was a huge Bible thumper. Um, very much a devout Christian, and uh, he didn't like foul language, which obviously you can tell I'm all about uh, speaking my mind. And uh, he smokeless tobacco was absolutely the most unprofessional thing in the world. And General D's, this is the God's honest truth. I was a sergeant. I, I job as the division narrator as a E4 as a specialist. And uh, I got promoted to sergeant while I was on the division headquarters. And I'm a devout Copenhagen user, a smoker, tobacco user. And General D smoked the ever-loving shit out of me every time he caught me to keep in my mouth. So I'd have, you know, I don't go anywhere without a dip of Copenhagen in my mouth. And General D, every time he saw me, literally made me do that goes, do push-ups every time he caught me with a dip of Copenhagen in my mouth. So I'm standing... In the uh, assistant division commander for operations support division headquarters, and General Dees is telling me how unprofessional it is to use Copenhagen and smokeless tobacco. And here comes Buck Fernandez, who's the division commander. And Buck walks up and looks at me and says, "Hey, Porter, give me a dip. I'm out." So I pull a can of <laughs> Copenhagen out of my. Throw it in General Cronan, who's the division commander. He puts a big fatty in his lip because Buck loves Copenhagen. Yeah. And uh, he and puts if, a big fatty in his mouth. And like I looked man. at General Dees and was like, what's up, General Dees? What's up? And he was like, shut up, Porter. Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. That's a good one. <laughs> yeah, that is a good <laughs> Okay, so anyway, so, we're, we're all done. Uh, you guys, I, It was a great show. Hey. If Joe's still on there, I always love listening to you. You didn't plug your book, though. What happened? I didn't what? Yeah. I didn't plug your book. Hey, we're still recording. So, so yeah, please uh, do. This is on what iTunes, and it's on the archive. So. Yeah. CJ, did you, you get a copy of my book? Did not, sorry, Major, I but did. I would absolutely love to read your book. Well, I tell you yeah. what, uh, Jeff can give me your address there, and I'll send you a copy. Okay. Roger that. If you, if Sergeant okay. Major, please, please sign it for me because you are an icon and you are a piece of American history, Sergeant Major. And I will educate my children. Um, I've got an 18-year-old son, a 13-year-old daughter, and a boy who's about to turn seven in April. And I educated him on coming. Major Anello tonight and the Korean War. Um, prior to me going on the show, I gave him a brief synopsis Aww. of your history and the things that you have done to secure our freedom, which I do okay. with a lot of our guests. And it's very important to me, Sergeant Major, to ensure 
your legacy uh, is carried on. So please, okay. absolutely, if you're going to send me a copy of that book, please sign it, and and okay. I will definitely make sure that that is passed on to my children because that's okay. very important. If you, want, if you want to wait till about the uh, the ninth or the tenth of April, I'll get Hershey to sign it for you too. There you go. Hey, I'm going to tell you right now. Um, I've got plan. a race. Um, I'm supposed to be in uh, at a race. You know, my retirement job is I do obstacle course racing. Um, I'm the mm-hmm. medical director for Spartan and Savage races, which is obstacle horse races um, all over the United States. Be at a race um, that weekend in June, but I can tell you right now. Um, I'm going to be in Fort Bragg, North Carolina, watching you jump out of a plane. Um, well, great. Yeah. I'll probably be jumping with you. Bring, um, bring a bottle of bourbon with you. Hey, I Alex, will. I will this, bring you. This will be the great time to do our truck calls. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yes, Bob? No, no problem, CJ. I'll, I'll get Hershey to sign it uh, when I see him next week. I'll tell you what, Star Major. Um, I'm I'm supposed to be in Welch, Minnesota, for a Spartan race on uh, Thursday, the 22nd. I will mm-hmm. get on an airplane and be in Fort Bragg, North Carolina, and I'm going to jump out of an airplane with you if that's possible, because I oh, love yeah. jumping out of airplanes. Done. Um, and when we hit the ground Done. on the drop zone, I will carry a bottle of fine Kentucky bourbon. On the air, and we'll jump it into the drop zone, and we will sip that bourbon when you hit the ground. Outstanding. There you go. That's the way. And you can it. have, and you can oh. have mine, Joe. What I was asking to do is see if you get one nineteen. Is that's that's what they jumped in Korea, and and CJ can stop talking about a perfectly good airplane. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Star Major, you tell I'll tell you what, you tell me what bourbon you want and I will bring it. If you can't come up with an idea, then I'll find at least I will at least promise you a bottle of I'll promise you a bottle of ten year old Rip Van Winkle. At a minimum, ten year old Rip Van Winkle. If it's not wow. Rip Van Winkle, we'll we'll get something better than that. But you know what? I guarantee you will have at least ten year old Rip Van Winkle or better, uh, that will jump out of the airplane and fly to the ground and will drink it on the drop zone. I'll stay nice. I'll stay away for that. Okay, no. okay CJ. Hey, I thank you once again for everything and I appreciate your show too. Thank Sorry, you. Mate, it was definitely uh, an honor to have you. Um, this, I'll tell you what, uh, I don't think anything or any guest, and I sent this in a private message between me, you and, uh, Jeff and Rachel and, uh, Alex and Rachel, uh, who's one of our producers, um, nothing or any guest that I ever have on the hot wash will ever top this, this show tonight, um, Sorry, Major, I'm going to tell you from the bottom of my heart, um, nobody will ever top this this episode. Um, I have nothing but the deepest and utmost respect for you, and I don't give a damn who we have on the hot wash after this. It will be my favorite episode ever. 
because you are the American dream. You're an American icon, and you're the epitome He's a dream, of an American man. And I can't wait until June 20th. I'm going to jump out of that perfectly good airplane with you, and we're going to sip that bourbon on the <laughs> zone, brother. Um, I can't wait. My mouth is watering until June 20th. <laughs> And I'm my knees, and, 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 and your leave is flowing. You know you're not allowed to wear sandals when you go skydiving, right, Jeff? I hear, I don't hear you. What did you hey. say? Yeah. Hey, fuck. Fader can jump out barefoot if he wants to. Hey, we're going to, this is going to be a damn day to remember. And I will probably, I am, I am Jesus, guys. We're going to put Facebook live on that shit. Well. All right, so ladies and gentlemen, right. you've been in an episode of the Hot okay. Plus. Um, we've had uh, one of the most amazing and interesting, most respected American individuals on the air tonight um, that we'd ever have. And and I've said I said it just a few seconds ago, and I'll say it again. Uh, I don't think any individual that I bring on the Hot Plus will ever top. Command Sergeant Major Retired Joe Anello. He is a former Korean War veteran, former prisoner of war from the Korean War, who was a captive of the Chinese Army. Uh, he's also a Vietnam veteran, and he retired at the rank of Command Sergeant Major, who was the Command Sergeant Major for um, U.S. forces um, in Japan. And, uh, you know, Sergeant Major, I definitely tip my hat to you, raise a glass to you, and I thank you for being the consummate professional that you are and for setting the standard and for being a role model for the American Fighting Force and returning with honor um, and setting the standard that you did. I say God bless the United States of America. Sergeant Major, please give us some closing words. I, uh, I just want to thank you for allowing me to be on the program. It's a wonderful program. And in the words of a lot of my compatriots, if I had to do it over again, I'd do it again. As we all would, brother. Mm-hmm. That means a lot. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Absolutely. Thank you once again. You've guys. been listening to an episode of the Hot Wash. I'll see you Saturday, Jeff. Absolutely. Bright and early. I'll give you a call Friday. We'll set up a RV. Okay. You've been listening to an episode of the Hot Wash. Uh, this is your host, Porter, with co-host Alex Maltizo, Jeff Falco, and our honored guest tonight, Command Sergeant Major Retired Joe Anello. God bless the United States of America. God bless USA. Night stalkers don't quit and never ever, ever, ever. support. Never ever is uh, <laughs> Jeff Falco so intimately. <laughs> never ever, never ever. <laughs> it's never, actually ever, night ever. stalkers don't quit, but according to Jeff Falco, it's night stalkers don't ever quit. Hey guys, appreciate you <laughs> listening no, tonight. Never. Look forward to our next episode. Get the verb next week. Uh, tune in live. Wednesdays, 7 p.m. Eastern Time at Blog Talk Radio. 
Warrior Outreach Radio, The Hot Wash with CJ and Jeff. Thanks for listening in. God bless the United States of America. God bless the USA. Nice talkers don't quit. Thank you.